It's the Brew Ha Ha Podcast. Time for the drive Brew Ha Ha with Berlinda Harris. Cheers. And we've got a very special program today. We've got folks in to tell us all about Anchor Brewing. Herlinda, introduce our guest. Back in the studio today, we have Mark Carpenter, who was the head brewer for Anchor. How are you uh, doing? Since 1971. He's retired now, happily retired, riding horses. Mark Carpenter is the second head from the left on the Mount Rushmore of craft brewing. That's nice. That's nice. Next to Fritz. There you Next go. There Fritz. Fritz. Yeah. From the left. Fritz was the brewmaster. Mark always makes sure that I know that. And then we have Dave Burkhart who has been at Anchor for 31 years. 31 and a half years. Yeah, 31 and a yeah, half years. And absolutely. he wrote the definitive book on the Anchor history, the Anchor Brewing story, and it releases tomorrow, although I got to go. It's out. It is out. Okay. It's out. So it is absolutely. Out. Okay. I was at the party Tuesday. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for inviting me. Um, at Anchor with the Illuminati's of the beer industry, all in line. How many books did you sign? Uh, 252. Yeah, that's, <laughs> even their workers were all lined up. The young guys, like everybody, like, and as you were saying, the future of Anchor. So um, I invited these two to come in because there's, A, the book. There's an anniversary that you'll tell us about, Dave. And also people have questions that they've asked me to ask you guys as well. And I'm sure that Harry has questions too but you know the anchor steam beer is the most iconic beer probably in the world all right before we continue we want to remind you that the brouhaha is brought to you by russian river brewing and the victory house at poppy bank epicenter well everywhere i go in the world there's anchor steam and when uh even in poland and even during like right like like soviet times like right after that anchor steam my friends there told me it was one of the first beers that they got to have there and when my friend archer who's coming in january to california gave Mark and his wife a tour of uh, Poland, of Warsaw, he started crying when he met Carpenter. <laughs> That's crazy. how much Well, Mark has that effect met. on a lot of people. I cried when, when I met him, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we've all cried when we met Carpenter. The, uh, uh, the one thing, we're going to talk a, uh, an awful lot about the history today. And yes. It's, and it's a wonderful history, and Dave's done an unbelievable job at collecting the, the real facts of this history. But um, the the other night I was at the book opening uh, release. I just wanted to say that I think Anchor has a bright future. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's got owners who are pouring in a lot of money. They just put in a a new canning line that had to cost over a million bucks. And they've just been pouring in lots of dough. So I think Anchor is going to be around for a long time. And and I hope uh, it's 100 years from now it's still there. I just had a great career there. And I was telling all the guys, uh, new workers there, that I hope theirs was going to be as good. And I think there's a possibility. So with all that, I'll let you go uh, start with the history here, Linda. Well, I'll second that, too. Yeah. I think that the people at Sapporo have really believe in us, really believe in our history. And in many ways, it's a shared history uh, because both, uh, both of us are brewers that go way, way, way back. They are real brewers, and that's something that's important, too. Um, And uh, they've been uh, very patient through the pandemic and understanding of some of the challenges that everybody in the industry is facing. And uh, uh, they see a bright future for us as as well and have let Anchor continue to be Anchor, which is is wonderful. Now, Dave, you said you've been with them for 31 years. Yes, sir. How long have you been the Anchor Brewing Historian? Officially, since 2010, 
But I was telling Mark uh, earlier this afternoon that uh, I started on May 20th, uh, 1991, which was a Monday. And that that Saturday, um, I went to the San Francisco Public Library. I was so excited about the uh, history of the brewery and went through, just like Fritz had many years before me, uh, went through all the old city directories, looking up all the names of the brewers and where Anchor was and, and everything else. I was just absolutely taken by the whole thing. And occasionally I had asked somebody a question, and they didn't know the answer to it, and that always made me determined to find out the answer. And so I literally over the years had been gathering a lot of information. And then in 2010, uh, after Fritz left the brewery, um, all those questions came directly to me, and uh, and I was dubbed, in addition to my other roles at Anchor, I've done almost everything there, uh, dubbed Brewery Historian, which is a wonderful title. And it, the reason I like it so much primarily is it means we have a history to talk about. You have a big history. So when – let's let's go back to the beginning. So I, this book is amazing. I tried to, like, dive in as much as I, I could – since Tuesday, but there's it's a it's a pretty big book. There's a lot of history. When did Anchor get started, and how did you get? You know, you and Mark were talking in the green room about some of the research on finding out about the Breckles family that started Anchor. Yeah, boy, that was tough. And uh, a lot of the research I did, I did with my late wife, who was absolutely wonderful and a tremendous genealogist. And uh, we took a couple trips to the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. Um, we traveled to uh, Ludwigsburg to go see Osweil, you know, where Gottlieb Breckel was born. And uh, uh, it was it was like piecing together a jigsaw puzzle, but people give you the jigsaw pieces one at a time over 15, 20 years. <laughs> and uh, it was really fascinating to research it. Um, Gottlieb Breckel was born in Ostweil, Germany, which is a district of uh, the town of uh, Ludwigsburg. Um, and uh, 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 he did not come directly to San Francisco, but came to San Francisco by way of Valdivia, Chile. Uh, Chile had just uh, uh, taken over the Magellan Strait and was trying to populate their country uh, to make sure that they could hold on to all of that territory. So they started some German colonies uh, over there where they would essentially pay people to come live in in, uh, in Chile. So Gottlieb Breckel boarded a ship, the Hermann, in uh, 1852 uh, with his girlfriend, uh, Maria, uh, and they uh, uh, they ended up Landing in Valdivia, Chile, stayed there for a while, and then, of course, the irresistible lure of gold uh, uh, took them from Valdivia to San Francisco, um, where uh, the, the two of them arrived in late 1853 or early 1854. A lot of the it's easy to find uh, passengers who are well-to-do and uh, have, you know, uh, but not so easy to find the ones that were in steerage. <laughs> And so we don't know exactly when they arrived, but we do know when he applied for American citizenship, which was in 1854. So sometimes between the time they got married, and, uh, you know, in 1853 and the time he applied for citizenship, we know they were there. Uh, he was in the gold fields for a while and then came back to San Francisco and uh, got hooked up uh, with a guy that owned the Golden Gate Brewery and uh, in, in San Francisco. 
and uh, be- began uh, from his humble beginnings as a carpenter in Germany, did what everybody did in the gold rush in those days. They reinvented themselves. And you could reinvent yourself here in California as anything you like. That's for sure. Ironically, it's not unlike what Fritz Maytag did a few years later, who reinvented himself as an heir to the Maytag family fortune, uh, turning himself into uh, the founder of craft beer. So uh, so uh, eventually he ended up owning the Golden Gate Brewery, and unfortunately uh, uh, it uh, it burned down. And uh, uh, But he took some of the insurance money, and he actually went back to Germany, thinking maybe that was it. They'd found their fortune. They did their thing. Huh. And uh, uh, opened a, uh, bought an old brewery in Ludwigsburg and had that for a couple of years, hmm. and then came back uh, and opened another brewery in San Francisco, a neighborhood brewery. These were all in the Russian Hill area of San Francisco. Um, and that brewery was various, variously called the Breckels Brewery, their Germania Brewery, and the Mason Street Brewery, which is where it was located. Uh, and uh, that didn't burn down, but it enabled him to make some, make enough money as a brewer that he was able to sell it and go in a partnership uh, with a guy that worked for the Veland Brewery in town and uh, uh, and buy a beer and billiard saloon from a guy named Charles Grimm uh, on uh, Pacific Street between Larkin and Hyde and turn it into a brewery in 1871. Okay. So I always consider our anniversary date uh, now, 151 years ago, to be September 18, 1871, when he bought that beer and billiard saloon and converted it to a brewery. So if you see on the cover of the brook, you see a, a picture of Anchor Brewery. It wasn't Anchor Brewery. He named it the Golden City Brewery, and it had several owners and several name changes uh, over the years. Um, uh, but 25 years after he bought it, uh, became Anchor Brewery. So that's kind of the, the prehistory of Anchor Brewery. Most people date it to what Fritz put on the label way back in, in uh, 1968 for yeah. our bottling mm-hmm. in 1971. And that was made in San Francisco since 1896. Well, that was for Anchor Steam Beer. In other words, it was called right. Anchor Steam Beer when two other Germans, so there's lots of Germans in this, which I love <laughs> being, being a Burkhardt here uh, and, uh, uh, and having some German heritage myself, uh, so lots of German brewers, and uh, uh, sure enough, two, two German brewers of uh, 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 Ernst Berut and uh, Otto Schinkel Jr. Otto Schinkel Jr. was his son-in-law, uh, uh, started a partnership. There are lots of partnerships, beginning with the miners' partnerships and the gold rush and extending to many of the breweries in town, and uh, took over the brewery uh, in 1896. And mm-hmm. so that's that's why... Uh, you know, on the old labels you see made in San Francisco since 1896. Cause they well, not only the old labels, the current cans right there, handcrafted since 1896. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're going to have to change label. it. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's, it's one of those fun things that's it's correct because it wasn't Anchor Steam Beer before they were yeah. called Anchor. Um, but obviously the Anchor Brewery that's pictured on the cover of the book, uh, the Anchor Brewing story didn't just fall out of the sky. Uh, you know, it had been around for 25 years and before that uh, for, uh, for almost 10 years as a beer and billiard saloon. Dave, you talk about all these breweries in San Francisco. Do you have any idea actually how many breweries were in San Francisco in that 1860 to 1890 period? 
Yeah, there were there were around a dozen when when uh, Gottlieb, you know, uh, first first showed up in the 1850s. They sprung up like wildfire, and and uh, you know those that didn't make their fortune um, finding gold in the gold fields figured that maybe it was better to mine the miners than uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sell them uh, make make beer and sell it to them. And so uh, and then by the turn of the century. You know, by around 1900, uh, there there were well over 30 uh, breweries in San Francisco, and over a, well over 100 breweries in California. And uh, there had to be more than one that was a, like a brewery in billiards or a brewery and pub, I would assume. Uh, yeah, there. As a matter of fact, there were uh, <laughs> this is kind of, there were 847 uh, drinking establishments uh, in, in town. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there was no shortage, and also no shortage of groceries. You know, if you drive around San Francisco, and I do a lot of that, just looking at stuff and gawking at things. Look at next time you do. Look at how many corner stores there are mm-hmm. always little mm-hmm. corner stores yep. and there were a ton there was a ton of corner groceries back in those days and many of those groceries actually brewed beer in the back <laughs> and so you'd have your groceries in the front and you'd go back and 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 gamble and drink beer in the back and then uh, stumble home and start over the next rinse and repeat as <laughs> and we that's say. the key thing they were in your neighborhood <laughs> exactly. you didn't have to go far exactly. to enjoy Groceries and they were riding exactly. a horse back yeah, then. Yeah, groceries too, so and the big air quotes yes. around them. But yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. So it was. These are very much neighborhood breweries, and that's one thing I like about the uh, our uh, beer bar and uh, brew pub across the street from the brewery today is Anchor Public Taps. Is it's it sort of reinvents that idea of the local of going to your local, you know, your your neighborhood. Uh, you know, um, establishment. A good place. Right. Yeah, and that that. Uh, pub at anchor started after i retired but it's really a fabulous place yeah. it's really set up well and they have food trucks arrived i believe still doing that there's, and there's food uh, trucks food trucks uh, new beers all the time well that's it they have experimental great brewers a couple other guys yeah, Mike they, they redid humming ale yeah which was uh, uh beer we developed when uh, fritz was there and and uh, and it was great to taste it at the party the other night. It was delicious. What's it? What was it called again? Humming, Humming ale. ale. It's made. It was the first beer we did with Nelson Savon hops, oh. and I just I loved it. Yeah. Mark won't take the credit, but I'm going to give him credit uh, for finding Nelson uh, hops going to New Zealand. And, yeah, uh, well, I actually and, found you know, the hops yeah, in England. Yeah. Oh, okay. At, at a brewery that made a beer with it, and I came back and I said to Fritz, "We got to brew with this hop." And so he said, well, go get them. So we did. So the, the beauty of that beer is it's a simple recipe. All it is is the same, uh, the recipe for Liberty Ale, which has Cascade hops, 100% Cascade, including dry hopping, and just trade out for Nelson. Uh, and it's it, absolutely delicious. Yeah. And might I point out to all of our young IPA fans, Mark Carpenter creating that with, with Fritz, that Liberty Ale was really the first IPA, India Pale Ale, brewed in america and you can still get it yeah it's delicious fritz, that's what we're drinking right now yeah fritz did not call it an ipa because he he wanted to create some of the uh, kind of a, the old ales that he remembered from the east coast and uh, but with the uh, bittering units and everything it, it certainly would meet the uh, definition of a of an ipa and uh, yeah it was the first to use cascade as an aroma hop uh, and it's just a fabulous beer. It really is. It's fun to be drinking it right now. <laughs> he used about one and three quarters pounds per barrel uh, of hops in the brewing, time. and mm-hmm. about uh, 
three quarters of a pound for dry hopping. Uh, in in those days, you know, a typical American beer, boy, if you had uh, two thirds of a pound per barrel of hops in your beer, you were getting getting a lot. So it was uh, quite a shock, although it actually mellowed out a little bit uh, with with time. So the question I get from people um, quite a bit, and then you're the one. Who, I mean, I know Mark knows too, but when in your research, so steam beer, which we when we judge is California Common. And you can tell the story when we come back from the break. How did Anchor Steam steam beer originate? Because I've heard stories, but I want to hear the right story. That's a big question, So, which we'll probably answer <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> in a moment or two. We've, we've got about a minute and a half here to go, and it takes too long to tell that story. But um, let's talk about, in that minute and a half, let's talk more about this Anchor, the Liberty Ale. Mark, tell us the history, a little of the history of Liberty Ale. You said he, and Fritz wanted to brew something from that reminded him of the East Coast Ales. Correct. Uh, Fritz went to um, school in the East Coast and uh, at prep school. And in that uh, in those days, um, there were lots of ales in the East. Uh, the, uh, in his area, Nick, Narragansett was one name and, and uh, uh, Knickerbocker in New York, I believe. I don't know them all, but there were lots of ale brewers. And um, and some were were really quite good. The uh, Valentine, I think, is the best, is the most well known, and probably the hoppiest of the bunch. Oh, Valentine's, right? Yeah, Valentine yeah. IPA. Yeah. And so it was that type of beer that Fritz was wanted to try and kind of recreate. Mm-hmm. It was Len, Len Richardson. Do you remember him? Hop dealer. Uh, yeah, correct. That turned turned Fritz on to Ballantine Ale and uh, uh, with a couple of bottles for that they brewed for the Fin and Feather Club. And uh, he fe- he fell in love with this idea of a real hoppy ale. We're in the middle of the dry brew, ha ha. The dry brew, ha ha, brought to you by the Russian River Brewing Company and the Victory House at the Poppy Bank Epicenter. Our guest today, Dave Burkhart, Anchor Brewing's historian, and Mark Carpenter, the retired head brewer at Anchor. And we're talking about Anchor Steam. And before we broke, Herlinda asked you the question, you know, tell us what steam beer is. All right, here we go. And who really created it? Because it's a California thing, right? It is very much a, of a California story, and it's very much of an Anchor story. And, and without Anchor, there would be no steam beer. Um, uh, by the late 1930s, nobody else, was, nobody else was making it. And there's no set way to make it, uh, uh, you know, in stone, where here's the secret recipe, and there's no uh, uh, 100% this is what we know and why it was called steam beer, but we have some theories. There's four quick theories that I'll tell you about. Basically, what you had is you had German brewers coming to San Francisco during the gold rush. Lager beer was all the rage in Europe and, of course, on the east coast of America. But in order to make lager beer, because lager yeast likes very cold temperatures and lager is aged, actually lager means to store. And uh, lager beer is typically uh, aged in a cold cellar for a month to up to six months or so. Mm. Um, So guess what? No ice in San Francisco. There was (laughs) ice in the Sierras, but no transcontinental railroad. Uh, if you wanted to get ice, you had to get it down from Sitka or from around the Horn uh, from Boston or New York, which was incredibly expensive. So what they lacked in ice, they made up for in ingenuity. And uh, the first thing they needed to do 
the lager was made, uh, you know, in those days, uh, uh, just the, you started with the same basic ingredients and same basic method in the brew house. But then you need to cool that down really fast. If you didn't cool it down fast, then it would be open to infection and bacteria and all kinds of crazy things, critters, before you, you, know, before you added the yeast. Uh, so what they came up with was the idea of a cool ship, which sat on the top floor of the brewery. Uh, it was a very, very shallow pan, which ended up having a very wide, uh, uh, large surface area and exposed to the atmosphere on uh, both sides, top and bottom, and on all four sides with louvered windows around the building. If you look at our picture of our brewery, you'll see those louvered windows. Uh, the air, which in the gold rush days, and I actually did this crazy research, the mean temperature in the 1850s and 60s in San Francisco was 56.5. There's your climate change commercial right there. <laughs> and uh, uh, so by pumping it up to the rooftop, um, they were able to cool the beer down fairly rapidly. And you imagine when that hot wort which is what comes out of the brew kettle. It's not called beer until you add yeast to it. Uh, when the hot wort met the cold air in San Francisco, guess what? You get steam, and that was wafting from those louvered windows. Uh, next, rather than uh, uh, they would drop the beer down to the floor below and add yeast to it, and it would ferment uh, uh, for three days, typically, and uh, the temperature, which again, it was the ambient temperature of San Francisco. They weren't fermenting, you know, they weren't fermenting this at typically uh, cold lager temperatures. So you had a, kind of a hybrid in a way. You had uh, uh, lager beers, uh, you know, fermented, and then uh, secondary fermentation uh, uh, in a in a um, at, at very at at a very normal San Francisco temperatures. Uh, it <laughs> typically climbs and still is today from from the 60s up to uh, the, the low 70s as far as the temperature is concerned during fermentation. So, But rather than drop that beer from the fermentation tank, which was also a shallow open pan, down to the cellar and age it and, you know, on ice for six months, um, they were f- fearful that the beer would spoil without refrigeration or ice. Uh, so they uh, racked it directly into kegs where it underwent its secondary fermentation. Oh, in the keg. They'd fill a keg, and those were, boy, those were heavy kegs. You'll see them at the brewery. They were six hoopers and uh, had iron bungs in them so that they wouldn't uh, blow out. And uh, um, the the beer beer was uh, dropped uh, from above into into those wooden barrels uh, until the barrel was about 85% full. And then it was topped off with beer that had only been fermenting one day. That's what's called a croissant brew. And the croissanting is a technique of carbonating the beer 100% naturally, kind of like champagne in a way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, so then those uh, uh, beer barrels were transported by wagon around the city of San Francisco. And you'll see that on the cover of the on the cover of the book. Uh, and uh, guess what? If a bartender wasn't smart and squirreled away a, a keg for a couple of days, that keg was still actively in its secondary fermentation. And when when tapped, would emit a loud hissing noise and a spray that reminded somebody of a steam engine. So is that um, where they got the like the term? That, the keg's going to blow. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's another possible origin of the term. The other was the pour itself. And in those days. Uh, bartenders would typically pour from two or even three different kegs of beer in various uh, phases of secondary fermentation. So, for example, when the noon whistle blew, um, uh, they would have the beers all lined up, 
and then they'd top them off with uh, uh, beer that had, had just arrived, and that was the foamiest, and that created a luxurious head of steam. So, there's again, you can see there's lots of different interpretations. We don't really know. Um, early on, because there was no competition from genuine lagers, the brewers just called it lager, but the name steam caught on amongst the consumers. Once ice and modern refrigeration came into vogue, uh, San Francisco's uh, first brewery uh, brewing a conventional uh, true German lager was in 1884, the uh, Frederick's Brewery out of San Jose and then the National Brewery. Um, and once they were able to do that, um, then they couldn't really call it lager anymore because it, they weren't steam beer and uh, California Common is not what you call genuine lager. lager. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, lager beer made at ale temperatures and with this uh, and a very much of a quick brewed beer. So that's as fast as I can talk, and, <laughs> and uh, which is still not as fast as the beer was racked and sold. <laughs> so, All right. We're going to talk Christmas right yeah. now yeah. because we are sampling what, Harlinda? So we are having the Christmas ale, but there is a tradition that you have, Dave, that you're starting to tell us about, an anniversary and a tr- tradition. This is so delicious. Oh, and then every year there's a new tree. I had known. Absolutely. But, but this year's tree has another story. Yeah. Today it is very I, – I celebrate a lot of anniversaries, and there's a ton of anniversaries in the, in the book. If you're listening right now uh, and you have a six-pack or a magnum of Christmas ale, go get it and open it up because today, November 17th, is the 47th anniversary of the very first brewing of Christmas ale. Um, and I've had a tradition, you know, uh, with Fritz Maytag, Mark knows this as well as anybody, with Fritz Maytag at the brewery, um, you know, it was all about tradition. Everything for a reason. And uh, uh, so uh, I've had a tradition of taking the first bottle off the bottling line on the first bottling every year. And I've uh, also had the tradition of popping open a Christmas ale on November 17th, wherever in the world I am. So so here we'll take a little toast. toast. Cheers, Here's to, to Christmas, Cheers. to Fritz Maytag, to Fritz Maytag and to Anchor Steam Beer. And to you guys. Thanks for and coming Mark in. Mark Carpenter. That's fantastic to be with you today, And Mark. Dave, for all this work, because this is quite a book. So we're talking about the new book. It's called The Anchor Brewing Story. Um, you can get it everywhere, right? It's including all at over the, the place, room in, including the including the brewery, and actually at Anchor Public Taps. I stopped at Anchor Public Taps on the way up here today to pick up some beer, and they're selling books uh, almost as fast as the beer there, which is <laughs> which is good. wonderful, Fantastic. you know. And the Christmas sale has a unique story every year: different uh, label, uh, different tree on the label, and different recipe in, uh, every year. And that's been deliberate uh, since since the beginning. When Fritz uh, retired in 2010, uh, I got the the wonderful task of picking the trees. He'd picked them all except for two. I picked the 2003 tree, and Kevin West, one of our brewers, picked the 2009 tree. So why? Why a different tree on each year's label? Uh, he was inspired uh, by the Bordeaux of uh, Baron Philippe de Rothschild, uh, who had uh, different art on his label every year and had a different artist do it. They were artists like Salvador Dali, Andy Warhol, Cezanne, I mean, all kinds of amazing people. And so he thought that it would be a great idea to have a different artist every year, a different tree every year, and a different recipe every year, Um, just like everybody looks forward to the new Bordeaux, you know, coming out. Um, Ultimately, he realized that it was hard to train a new artist every year. (laughs) And so we had Jim Stitt uh, do the very first one, uh, Richard Elmore, 
um, uh, did the second one, and then uh, Fritz went back to Jim Stitt, and Jim Stitt uh, has done all all the ones up until his retirement. He's 95 years old right now and uh, happily retired. What, what tree um, is this? So this, this year's tree is really interesting. I try to come up with a, uh, a tree that really means something. Uh, and uh, this tree mean, means a lot to me. And and the uh, it's it's a blue gum tree, which most people know as a eucalyptus tree. The brewers loved it. Dane loved it. Because, and uh, Tom Riley loved it, who had a big hand in, mm-hmm. in the recipe for this year's beer because it was a it was a tree we could actually use in the beer, which is very rare for us. And people always think t- there's the tree. Yeah, you can taste it, it you can taste it, which is wonderful. So uh, uh, so anyway, so. Uh, um, I, one of the guys asked me, well, what's the tree this year? And I said, well, hop in the car with me and I'll show you. <laughs> and these these particular trees uh, were planted by Mary Ellen Pleasant, who I like to call the Rosa Parks of San Francisco. And in part because of her uh, suing several streetcar companies, one for kicking her off a streetcar and the other for not picking her up in the 1860s. She was an abolitionist. She supported uh, John Brown. Uh, She worked on the uh, western end of the uh, California uh, Underground Railroad. And uh, um, she was just absolutely an amazing woman. She lived from 1814 until her death in San Francisco uh, in 1904. And on her house was at, it's no longer there, but the trees are still there. And she planted them in the 1880s. The house was at 1661 Octavia between Sutter and Bush. And there's a lovely little plaque uh, talking about her. And uh, I thought that it was a wonderful way to commemorate uh, the what who is affectionately called uh, the woman that's affectionately called the mother of civil rights in California. Oh my and, God, I will uh, drink to that. It's very a very nice. touching story, and uh, she's uh, one of those people, the kind of that goes unsung. And and uh, boy, a lot of more, a lot more people should be singing about her, and Ma- maybe they will now. Mark, let's talk about the beer itself. Talk about the Christmas ale. Well, it's a it's a great ale, you know. And as Dave said, every year a new recipe. And, Delicious. And Fritz always involved anyone in the brewery really who wanted to to join in to form the recipe. And uh, but this year, I think it's just great. When Dave poured it, it had a or I'm sorry, Herlinda poured it. <laughs> it was a big, beautiful head, and it still is. It's been sitting here nice and tight, uh, and lacing with incredible. color to it. It's just uh, beautiful, and it's nice and dark. And it's nice and spicy. We use spices in the beer every year. And I wasn't sure if that tradition was going to carry on after I left. Well, it certainly has. And, yeah, you can get – when I tasted it, I thought, oh, you know, I can I can taste that kind of a eucalyptus it's taste. In, and yeah. and uh, at the time, I didn't know – that that was the tree. But yeah. yeah, you can. The taste other that. the other thing terrific. that's beautiful about this beer, I talked to Mark, or I talked to uh, uh, <laughs> old habits die hard. There, I talked to Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been talking to you with great pleasure for a long time. So anyway, if you hold it up to the light, you see that there's a beautiful kind of red tinge to the to the beer, and that's very difficult to get. It has to do with the blend of malts uh, in the beer, and so it has a real beauty to it, which makes it to me uh, look and feel even more Christmassy. It runs. Uh, uh, seven seven something percent alcohol, and so it's a nice winter winter warmer. And uh, don't try to finish the Magnum bottle well, by yourself. Say, that's a big bottle too, but uh, it's worth a start. It's worth a start. I, I accept the challenge. Yeah. Uh, was it Dane's recipe? It was really Tom's. Tom Riley's. Tom Riley. Yeah, well, with, with, yeah, yeah. with, with Dane. Retired recently. Yeah, he yeah, just retired. I like Tom a lot. Yeah, Tom moved up to. Uh, 
moved up to Brewmaster uh, in 2020 and uh, just just retired just retired this year. Wonderful guy. So, what did Anchor do during Prohibition? Well, now that the book's out. I, uh, I can't reveal much more because there isn't much more, but I can tell you a little tidbit that I did find. We don't know for sure. Mark has some theories that maybe it was being brewed on uh, Potrero Hill, but I couldn't find, you know, I'm a historian and uh, I need I need something, you know. I Evidence need, and I need facts. the documents. I know that's yeah. not in vogue these days. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they're top secret, but for some reason they're missing. I don't know what. So uh, anyway, so I... Uh, um, uh, I did find out uh, in an obscure little newspaper article that uh, immediately after Prohibition uh, began that the brewery uh, was taken over by a chocolate concern that was making chocolate. Oh. And I have this fantasy of uh, Joe, Joe Krause, the brewmaster at the time, uh, uh, standing over the brew kettle, stirring a brew kettle full of chocolate, uh, fantasizing about Anchor Steam beer. I'm he, making he, chocolate he, yeah, stout right Yeah, right exactly. There, right? He went off to uh, Germany to take a vacation, and then in one of the most amazing things, uh, and I don't know of anybody else like this, uh, he ended up being brewmaster both before and owner, both before and after Prohibition. I don't know of a single other brewmaster slash owner in, in the country. that, And that's an, another example of the many examples in the book of the unbroken continuity of Anchor. There's always overlap. There's always people that used to work, you know, for the other guy and now work for the new guy and keep going. And that's what makes Anchor so marvelous and such a wonderful uh, San Francisco tradition. The book is called The Anchor Brewing Story, America's First Craft Brewery and San Francisco's Original Anchor Steam Beer. The author is David Burkhart, the historian of Anchor Steam. I want to read you the blurb on the back from Vinny and Natalie Chilurzo. From its earliest days through the Fritz Maytag years and beyond, the story of Anchor Brewing and its beers is legendary. It is the classic American tale of vision, work ethic, and fortitude. Anyone with an interest in or curiosity about beer should read the Anchor Brewing story. It's an extensive book. It's 287 pages long, and the type is really small, so it's yeah. a real read. <laughs> but 309 pictures. Three, lots, so yeah, more pictures than pages. And you can drink a beer while you read it. And Please do. Yeah. Please drink a beer per chapter. And drink I an will just toss out there that it would be a great Christmas gift for the beer lover in your family. And again, it's available in bookstores throughout the area and at Anchor in uh, the South Bay, right? Or San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, yeah, in Petro Hill. Very good. Come by and see us. But I bet Copperfield's books here in Sonoma County will have it, and maybe we can persuade you to come back and do some beer sunnings at Copperfield's or someplace else. That'd Um, be great. That'd be fantastic. You know, my fantasy is to do a Legends in Beer, uh, like, little symposium talk with you guys, Mark, Fritz, you know, Brian Hunt. You know, the guys from Mendocino Brewing Company, all of that someday, someday. So I know we have to get, we have to close, but what would you want people to know about Anchor going into the future and past? I know you both support these new young brewers and people in the industry big time. You know, Fritz hired people at the brewery uh, on the basis of their character, the basis of their integrity. And then he trained them from the ground up, as Mark knows, because we all started there in the bottle shop and the racking room, trained them from the ground up uh, to learn the dignity of work and what it meant to work at a brewery and learn all the jobs. And eventually you'd find your own way, your own place. And it and made it a marvelous place to work because he had a way of finding 
talents that were in you that you didn't even know you had, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, uh, in my case, it was the talent for telling a story mm-hmm. uh, and the talent of writing it. So uh, uh, so I'd say one more lifting of the glass of Christmas ale to Fritz Maytag. And thank you all for listening. Cheers to Anchor Very good. I'd just like history. to butt in here real quick. If you look at the book, if you look at the cover, there's a great picture of the old Anchor Brewing Company. And the, there's a horse on there pulling a cart who's got the longest face you've ever seen on the horse. <laughs> so I had to do some research on it. And it turns out that's the horse that went in the bar. And the bartender said, why the long face? Oh. Oh. <laughs> you want it? You, you want us to go long for that, Mark? <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Dave Burkhart, Anchor Brewing's historian. Mark Carpenter, the retired head of brewer at Anchor. Thank you so much for joining us on the Brew Ha Ha. Cheers. Thanks, guys. That's it for the Drive Brew Ha Ha.